Good morning, guys, again. This is a, an IBM, or an IBM, oh my goodness. This is an iPad, okay? Not mine. How I wish it was. I think these are pretty cool. You know, you can uh, download all kinds of uh, apps for these. I understand that if you went to the uh, Apple App Store, they would find 165,000 apps that you could purchase or download for free. In the last couple of years, more than 3 billion apps have been downloaded. The average person who has an iPhone or an iPad has about 65 apps on their phone or pad. Now, you know, why... And by the way, I was looking this week at some apps that you could get. Uh, here's a few that I found interesting. First here is the, uh, it's called iFart. No kidding. And if we could have that up on the screen, guys. Uh, next one. Uh, there we go. And actually, it's a, you download it, it makes the sound of uh, fart. And actually, there's several choices that you can choose from. And I was reading this week, actually now somebody has come out with a technology that literally can make the scent come out of your phone somehow. Yeah, I'm not encouraging that. Here's another one. Uh, it's called Date Check. You can download this, and when you're out on a date, if you're still in the dating scene, you can actually do a complete background check on whoever you're out with right there at, you know, at the dinner table. You may decide you need to get up and leave right then. You know. Yeah, one more. Uh, this is something everybody needs. This is the uh, Cowbell app. That way, the next time you're in a restaurant or someplace and somebody says, we need more Cowbell, you're right there to provide it for it. Yeah, I need to run out here to actually hit the Cowbell, didn't I? Why are they so popular? Well, I think at least part of the reason for the apps craze is that people are always looking for things to make their life easier or to be entertained. We think life can be better. Well, they're not nearly as flashy and not nearly as corny. But do you know Jesus gave us some apps? Yeah, Jesus gave us some lessons or apps for our lives. Now, they can't be downloaded to your phone or iPad. They have to be downloaded to your heart. And they don't necessarily make life easier. They don't entertain us, but they can make life better. For the next eight weeks, I want us to look at some lessons that Jesus taught to a crowd of people who gathered on the side of a mountain. Jesus challenged His listeners on this day to go beyond where they were. He challenged them to, to grow, to change, to, to stretch, to follow Jesus to places they had never been before. So I want to invite you to the mountainside. I want to invite you to listen to what Jesus taught. And maybe we could grow too. Maybe we could go to some places that we have never been before. Let me ask you a question. 
If you look at your life, do you think your life looks exactly like Jesus wants it to look like? I mean, in every way. The way you think, act, walk, talk. Does your life look exactly like Jesus wants it to look like? Does your life, if you looked at your life right now, does it look that way? You see, when I ask that question, there is this gap in my life that becomes very apparent, a gap between where I am and where I would be if my life looked exactly like Jesus wants it to look like. How about you? This is a uh, do not disturb sign from a hotel. I didn't steal it. I asked, I promise. And you know, you've all stayed in a hotel and if you don't want to be disturbed, what do you do? You, you take this do not disturb sign and you hang it outside on the door and it's a signal to everybody that passes by, all the housekeeping, everybody, leave me alone. Don't disturb me. Don't knock on my door. Don't wake me up. I think some of us have taken the do not disturb sign and we have hung it on the outside of the door of our life. And we've said, just leave me alone. But to close that gap between where I am and where I ought to be if my life were to look exactly like Jesus wants it to look like, it takes some disturbance. Somebody needs to stir us from our sleep a little bit if we're going to be close that gap. And so I'd encourage you over these next eight weeks to take this do not disturb sign off of the door and I would challenge you to pray a very dangerous prayer. Would you pray, Dear God, disturb me. Dear God, disturb me. So that I can close that gap and begin to look more like Jesus. And if you pray that prayer, He just might do it. He just might disturb you a little bit. There is this question that haunts me sometimes. If we were to, if we were to strip away all of the comfort, if we were to, to strip away the air conditioning and the comfortable seats and the cool music and all of the media, would just following Jesus be enough for people? Would just following Jesus be enough? I hope you brought your Bibles today. I want us to look at uh, this story that Jesus teaches. It's found in Matthews chapters 5, 6, and 7. But we're actually going to start in Matthew chapter 4 today because there is a scene that happens in Matthew chapter 4 that sort of sets the stage for everything that Jesus is going to teach in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So again, I hope you brought your Bible. If you did, open them up, uh, take them out, follow along. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. That's the very first book in the New Testament part of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible on the tables as you exit today and near the entrances, there are some Bibles. Pick one of those up. Take it home with you. Make it your own. And when you come back next week, um, bring it with you so that you can read right along with us as we study this together. Now, the book of Matthew, let me give you a little background as you're finding your way there. The book of Matthew was written by a guy named Matthew. Imagine that. And he writes about his experience of following Jesus. He tells the story of Jesus from his viewpoint. There are three other books, Mark, Luke, and John, where three other guys also tell about their experiences of following Jesus from their perspective. And often the stories are found in multiple books. 
Well, as we pick up the book of Matthew and open it today, we find Jesus at the beginning of his public ministry. And simply by that, I mean, for 30 years, Jesus had been on the earth. He was born as a baby. He grew into a man. And God had been preparing him for 30 years for the three years of ministry that would be open to the public where he would begin to interact with people and call them to follow him. And so we're right at the very beginning of that. Jesus, just a short time earlier, spent 40 days out in the wilderness where Satan kept trying to tempt him into sin. And Jesus said no and didn't give in to sin. And now he's ready to launch his public ministry. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, from the time of the beginning of his public ministry, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God has come near. What's He talking about? Well, this kingdom is not a, a literal time or a literal place. It is not a physical kingdom. And what Jesus is saying here is that God is on the move. He, he's inviting people into a kingdom that's all about God ruling over their lives. God is about to do something. God is about to create a new and better way. And Jesus says if you want to come into this kingdom, there's two things you have to do. Matthew records one of them. Matthew says you have to repent. And if you look at this same story over in Mark chapter 1, he adds another word there that Jesus speaks here. He says, repent and believe. Now, repent is the idea of to turn from something, to turn from some stuff. Believe is the idea to turn to someone. Jesus says, if you want to go into this kingdom if you want to be under the rule of God, you've got to turn away from stuff and you've got to turn to someone. You've got to repent and you have to believe. Then look what happens next in the story. Verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a, a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow Me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. <laughs> Jesus disturbs their lives. He disturbs their day. He says, I, I don't know much about this fishing thing, but I've got something much bigger that I'd like to invite you to do with your lives to go fish for people. It's as if Jesus is saying, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Come on, follow me. That's what they do. Verse 20. At once they left their nets and followed Him. Now, that's astonishing to me. Here were these two fishermen who dropped their nets and followed Jesus. You see, there's those same two actions that Jesus talked about earlier. He said you've got to drop your nets and you've got to follow Me. You've got to repent. That's drop your nets. You've got to follow Me. That's believe. And that's what these two guys did. They dropped their nets. And they follow. Now, it's interesting to me that it begins with dropping their nets. I mean, they, they were used to holding on to these nets. But Jesus says you can't cling to these nets and still walk after Me. And here's the principle. If you're going to go beyond, you have to leave some things behind. For every following, there is a leaving. Meister Eckhart said it this way, a lot of spiritual growth happens in our life not just by adding something new, but through the discipline of subtraction. 
Jesus says, guys, it's me or the net. What's it going to be? Hey, you know what? Jesus wasn't telling these guys that their fishing business was evil. Not at all. You see, these nets that they were holding on to represented to them their current life. It's what they were used to. It's what they were comfortable with. It was the stuff they knew. It was the part of life that wasn't very disturbing to them. And they ran these nets through their hands every day. Jesus says you've got to drop them. As you came in today, you were handed a, a small piece of fishing net. Can you take that out right now? Just run that through your fingers. And as you do, what are your nets? Maybe you need to ask God. God, what are the nets that I hold on to? What are the nets that keep me from really falling? What are the nets that I need to to drop? Well, it's not necessarily that they're evil things, but just what are the what are the nets that keep me from really becoming like Jesus wants me to be? And over the course of these next few weeks, I'm hoping that God will disturb you a bit. And He'll help you to see that there are some nets maybe that you have been holding on to that keep you from really following Jesus. It's interesting that just a short time after this encounter with Peter and Andrew, we find Jesus in that scene that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 5 where He begins to, to teach on the mountainside. And you know what I think He does there? I think He helps His listeners begin to identify some nets that they've been holding on to. He helps them to understand what happiness really looks like. And you know a lot of us have these really strange ideas of what ought to make us happy in life, and we hold on to that as a net. Jesus talks about in those lessons about worry. I'm sure none of us struggle with worry. I'm sure for none of us that's a net that we hold on to, right? Jesus talks in those in that lesson about how we sometimes judge other people with the wrong motives. Maybe that can become a net for us. He talks about our, our struggle with anger. He talks about our, our struggle with forgiving people. And maybe for some of us, bitterness is a net that has grown up in our lives that we are clinging to. I don't know. But here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping over the course of the next few weeks that Jesus disturbs you a bit and helps you to recognize some nets that you need to drop so that you can really follow, so that your life can really look like what Jesus wants it to look like. Here's what I want you to do with this net. I'd encourage you to hang on to it over the course of these next eight weeks. In fact, I'd encourage you, you want to just put it right there in your Bible, right, in this Matthew passage. Bring it along with you every week because here's what I'm guessing will happen. Either sometime while we're together or sometime maybe when you're quiet and all alone, the Holy Spirit's going to show up in your life in that moment and He's going to tell you what your net is. And you'll have to decide, are you going to drop the net and really follow? It's interesting. 
Jesus comes to Peter and Andrew this day and invites them to follow them. And in their tradition, this wouldn't have been a totally unusual thing because, you see, many people in this day would have chosen a rabbi to follow. A rabbi was someone who studied the Old Testament law, the Torah, and would interpret that in his own way and begin to live it out. And people, in watching a certain rabbi, would say, I like his life. I want to learn from him. And so they would approach the rabbi and they would say to him, can I, can I follow you? Can I learn from you? If he accepted them as his students, they, they would begin to, to follow this rabbi and to learn from his life. And tradition has it that there was a saying often that they would say about people who followed a rabbi, they would say, you are covered in the dust of your rabbi. And what they were saying is they, you were following so closely, watching his wife so closely that you were actually getting covered in the dust as he walked down the street because you were so close. But it's interesting in this case. Jesus is the one who invites these guys to come and follow him. But you notice he doesn't say, come and study the Torah with me. Come and study the law. No, Jesus says, come and follow me. Come see my way of living. Come get covered in my dust. And I, I think Jesus, frankly, offers the same invitation to us. Come, come get covered in my dust. Not, not just come to church or pick up my Bible occasionally or be a good person. No, Jesus says, come follow me and get covered in my dust. That's His invitation. So once, his, once Peter and Andrew had dropped their nets on this day, they were, they were free to follow. This is the trust part, following. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Jesus? And I'm not asking you this morning, you know, that thing we say sometimes, do you believe that He's the Son of God? It's much more than that. Do you trust Him? Do you believe that He is smart enough and capable enough to actually lead your life? If you do, you'll trust Him. You know, it's important to know, isn't it, whether or not we can trust somebody? I mean, if you had some repairs that needed done around your house, <laughs> I wouldn't be the guy to call. I, I don't know one end of the hammer from the other, hardly. Now, I could point you to some people right here in our church that are very handy, and if you needed some repairs done around your house, you could go to them and you could trust them to get it done. But if you, if you left it up to me, if you tried to trust me to do repairs around your house, well, I found some pictures this week of probably the kind of construction work that I, I might do. Guys who probably you shouldn't have trusted either. Here's one. The engineers got this a little wrong. I'd just love to know how many millions of dollars it took to fix that to make the bridge match up correctly. Now, here's another one. You know, even for guys, that's a little close. Here's one more. I don't know how tall this guy is, but the ATM seems a little, a little out of target there. And then one more. These guys ought to go back to school and learn how to spell school. You know what, if you needed repairs in your house, should, should you trust me? No. We've got to ask a similar question about Jesus. Do you trust Him? You see, if you don't trust Him, you won't obey Him. Do you really believe that He is capable of leading your life? If you do, you'll let Him call the shots. Do you trust Him? He can be trusted. Peter and Andrew knew on this day when they dropped their nets that they could trust 
this guy to follow Him? Do you trust Him? Will you follow Him? I have a friend that is a pastor in Kentucky. And his name's Dave. One day he got a phone call from his daughter, or his sister-in-law who said to him, I have a really strange request. She said, my car's broken down today. It's been an awful day. I need to know if you could run by the vet and pick up Bunny, our, our little Bunny. It's Emma's Bunny, her daughter. And she kind of explained, and, and he said, sure, you know, I'll make time. I'll run by. I'll pick up the Bunny from the vet. <laughs> and uh, she said, there's one more thing you need to know. She said, Bunny is dead. And, uh, you know, just want you to know that. He said, I, I understand. I'll, I'll go pick her up. Uh, he said, I can, I can handle the service part too if you'd like. And uh, so he, he said, I'll pick her up. I'll, I'll bring her home. And uh, his sister-in-law said, well, when you bring her home, we're going to go out in the backyard and have a little service and bury it and for Emma's sake. So his, his son Samuel was with him. They jump in the car. They drive to the, to the vet. And the sister-in-law had given him instructions. She said, now when you get there, just go up to the counter and say, I'm here to pick up Happy. He thought that was a little, seemed a little strange given the you know, circumstances, but he got out of the car, walked in and said, I'm here to pick up Happy. And the girl behind the counter said, oh. She kind of called him over to the side away from his son and handed him this shoebox. And Dave realized what she was trying to do. And he said, really, it's okay. It, it's not his money. It's my, his cousin's. And she said, oh, okay. So, so they carry the, the shoebox out and <laughs> Dave's son is all boy. As soon as they get out of the parking lot, he's like, let's look, Dad, let me see. Dave didn't think a public viewing right in the middle of the parking lot was probably the place. And so he said, wait till we get in the car. And they get into the car and they open the box up and there is a little happy bunny resting peacefully with a little cloth over him. Samuel, his son, wasn't phased at all. So they took that box to his sister-in-law's home. And when they walked in with happy in the shoebox, Emma just erupted in tears, sobbing because her bunny was dead. Dave later asked his son Samuel, why didn't it bother you that Happy had died? Samuel said, well, it wasn't mine. Dave said, why did you get so upset a couple of weeks ago when your goldfish that we got at the county fair died? Why did you cry then? Well, because it was mine. It belonged to me. You know what? If you see a funeral procession go by down the street and you don't know who it is, it doesn't even phase you, does it? Other than you're bothered by the fact they slowed down traffic. But if you lose somebody that's close to you, it hurts deep inside, doesn't it? That's why for some people when they pass communion, that, that memorial to Jesus' death on the cross, they just drink it and pass it on. But for others, when they take communion, it means something deep to them. It's because Jesus is theirs. They have been covered in Him dust. I think it's interesting that when you look at this story, did you notice what it says about these guys? It says at once they followed. There was a sense of urgency in following. For them, this wasn't like, hey, let's dip our toes in the pool. They dove in to follow Jesus. Jesus has invited us to follow, to be covered in His dust. This is not a, a dipping your toes in the pool kind of thing. This is, let's dive in. 
This isn't just about going to church and filling a spot in the auditorium or being in a Bible study occasionally or or helping out around the church once in a while. This is about being covered in the dust of Jesus. This is about orienting your world and your life around following Jesus. It's about really following. It's interesting that if you follow the life of Peter and Andrew and some of the other people that were followers of Jesus that were covered in His dust, If you trace their lives on over into the book of Acts, long after Jesus has gone back to heaven, they have an encounter with some people there. And these people that encounter Peter especially, they they make a statement about Peter out of his presence. The Bible says they noted that these men had been with Jesus. You could just see it in Peter's life. It was oozing out of him because he had been covered in the dust of Jesus. So here's what I'm hoping hope will happen in your life these next eight weeks. I hope that you will let the real you meet the real Jesus. I hope that you will invite God to disturb your life. I hope God will disturb your life. I hope along the way we will all drop some nets. We'll get covered in the dust of Jesus that we will invite Jesus to transform us. That we will invite God to awaken us. God, that is our prayer today. Disturb us. Stir us from our slumber. Awaken us, God, so that we can be covered in Your dust. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.